When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the weekend preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell with my co-host George Ellick and Bet365's very own Steve Freeth alongside me as ever to preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action which includes West Ham v Arsenal, Spurs v Leicester, Newcastle v Liverpool and Everton against Chelsea. But before we get properly stuck into the pick of the weekend's games, let's quickly reflect on last night's match at Old Trafford, a 1-1 draw between Manchester United and Chelsea. 33-year-old departing Nemanja Matic, setting up 37-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo for United's equaliser. George, that probably just about sums up United's current situation, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, it was a quality ball from Matic. It um, was lovely. I, you know, having having watched about two decades of, of Matic playing holding midfield I didn't really know he had that in him but it was a brilliant chip ball through and, and a great touch and finish from Cristiano Ronaldo and no matter what, what you think of him uh, I think given the, the couple of weeks that he's had I don't think anyone can begrudge him celebrating with United fans again and scoring a goal it was poor from Ngolo Kante twice giving away possession before before the goal a player who you know has been so consistently superb uh, in the Premier League for a long time maybe going through his his poorest spell um, but Chelsea were, were by far the better team uh, throughout the game you know they, they had the better chances they controlled possession and it was a game where it meant very little to Chelsea and was a must-win game for United's slim hopes of finishing in the top four so you know it's it's a time of transition for Manchester United we, we've heard rumours over the last couple of days that their current manager is set to be appointed the Austria manager whilst also taking on a consultancy role at the club that is pretty you know, it shows where the club is at the moment you know the good news for them is that they are at least getting a manager in whose whose level is uh, a fair bit above um, the Austrian national team uh, fairly soon so it, it feels like two clubs who are, who are basically crawling to the finish line of the season now with Chelsea's top four spot pretty much confirmed and just an FA Cup final to look forward to and for Manchester United it's just a reset to look forward to in, in a few weeks Steve with next season in mind for Manchester United tell me some odds I mean, I'm sat here thinking, really, we should be looking at the relegation market, but I'm sure we're not going to. But, but what are we looking at for next season for Manchester United? Yeah, we finally pushed them out, Dan. I think the 10-1 the to 1 for them to win the league, I think, surprised a few people. We have only pushed them out to 14 for the total next season. Uh, you know, there could be a few changes in the summer again. Clearly, the new manager coming in, some new players as well. So, And, and they've got such huge punter following as well. They normally get back to anyway, Manchester United. So we're just going to push them out to 14 to 1. And looking over the next few years, the next three years... I think we're also going to mark it up when Manchester United next win the Premier League, and we're, we're two to seven. It's not going to be the next around the two to seven mark. It's it's not going to be over the next three seasons as well. So it's been a long while since Man- Manchester United have tasted Premier League title glory, and we still think that way it's going to go on a little bit longer as well. Yeah, long, long way off that now. It really seems absolutely light years behind Manchester City and Liverpool. But as Liverpool have shown in the last five or so years, I guess that the gap can be closed and you can go on and do something. But it does feel a long way off for Manchester United. Just before we get into the weekend's action, remember you can sign up to The Athletic for just a pound per month for the first six months and you'll sample the best sports writing in the business as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. To take advantage of that offer, just head to theathletic.com slash football pod. Game one that we're going to look 
cap this weekend is Newcastle v Liverpool, which is the 12.30 on Saturday kickoff. Liverpool first up then in the title race weekend. Chance to go top for a few hours at least, but Newcastle, Steve, have won six in a row at St James's Park. They're unbeaten in eight at home. This is a tough, tough game for Liverpool, I think. Massively so, Dan. The fans will be buzzing for this game as well, won't they? You can imagine going there with uh, some real hope. I looked at the record between Newcastle and Liverpool at, at, uh, at St James's over recent seasons, and I, and I was I was quite surprised over over the last ten years that Liverpool have only won three of those of, of those ten games. So historically, it's 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 been a tough place to go, so to speak. But I mean, Newcastle now are challenging for the top half. Who'd have thought that? Eleven to four, they are to do that. I know the teams around them have games in hand and they've got tough games coming up. Liverpool, Manchester City, Arsenal as well. Burnley on the final day could also be scrapping. But wow, you know, I was a little bit of the Eddie Howe sceptic, but great time to play them. Three wins at home, away win at poor Norwich team as well. I suspect Liverpool will still win, but uh, that will certainly make it tough for them. Imagine where Chris Wilder would have them, eh? Exactly. That's what exactly. we wonder <laughs> every single week, George. I mean, Newcastle, Manchester City will be watching this game very, very keenly at the weekend, but Newcastle have got the chance to be potential kingmakers because they've got City to play as well. Just just by virtue of the form Newcastle are in, George, they could have a real say in this title race. I mean, they will have a real say in the title race, even if they're beat twice. I think the, the key thing here is that their, their home form is so good. And St James's Park, for the first time in the Premier League for, I mean, decades, is, is now a... It's, it's the place that we saw under Kevin Keegan back in the 90s where it's absolutely bouncing and, and the fans are going there looking forward to going to games. Whenever we're talking about the good times at Newcastle, I think it's always important to mention the elephant in the room and you know we have to caveat it by saying it's, it's not necessarily what all neutrals um, would, would want to see and, and by the very definition of, of sport washing, we have to nod to the, you know, the human rights record of, of the current ownership. But that doesn't change the fact that it's made St James's Park a very difficult place to go and play football at the moment. So I think Liverpool are, are to an extent worse off because they're the ones who are having to travel to Newcastle. City host Eddie Howe's side, which should be an easier test. But the more and more I think of this and the more and more I look at the title winner market and the more I think of, of who's going to slip up first, the more I kind of convince myself that it's not really to do with the opposition particularly. Now, Newcastle are, are of course, a more difficult game than, say, Everton um, that Liverpool had last weekend, even though they made pretty heavy weather of that and, and the odds reflect that. But I think City and Liverpool are just so far clear of everyone else in the Premier League now. Their dominance is, is at least basically a goal above everybody else but in the in the Asian market before you even, except for Chelsea, before you even get to the to, to, to the first whistle of the game so it kind of more comes down to who's going to slip up first rather than necessarily which opposition is going to provide the, the, the sterner test now Liverpool quite clearly have on paper and, and in terms of the league table a more difficult run-in but we saw back in what was it 18-19 when, when neither team dropped a point for the last three or four months I think we're back in that situation now where going into every game they're both going to be odds on they're, they're both going to be heavily fancied to win their games have an over 50% chance of doing so and it just comes down to which team is going to throw in that odd poor performance like we saw from, from Man City back in, in mid-March uh, against Crystal Palace where they drew the, where they drew the game 0-0 where they were toothless in attack Palace deserve credit but at the same time they, they didn't really need to do too much to keep City at bay the Champions League comes into that I think the fact that both teams have games next week and neither tie is out of sight is important but certainly City look the team who are going to have to maybe focus more on that tie mainly because it's there's only one goal in it and they've got a trickier tie going to Madrid but also because City 
winning the Champions League is the holy grail for their owners, for everybody involved in the club. There's no doubt where their priority lies. Uh, and that might mean that we see City taking more of a chance with their team selection with, with injuries as well. So yeah, I, I still think that because they've got a one-point advantage City here in the driving seat, but I still anticipate that I, I still think there's no reason to think Newcastle will, will, despite their good form, be a match for a Liverpool side who are just on a different stratosphere at the moment. Everton caused them a few problems on the break, I would say. And we sent Maximan in the in the Newcastle side. You just never know from that aspect. But you're right. You expect both teams to just win every game at the moment. Which if they did, obviously Manchester City would end up winning the title. There's five games to go, Steve. What are the latest odds? What George said then, with City being a point clear and the possibility of winning them all games, City are two to five favourites to win the Premier League with Liverpool at fifteen to eight. Of course, we have our eyes on the quad as well for for Liverpool, who have been a a four-figure prize for that. We've got them for a few million quid, as as you know. So they're into thirteen to two to do that. You know, it's uh, odds on for the Champions League as well. Of course, you know Liverpool are, are one to fifty shots to qualify for the final. You know, it's uh, Jurgen Klopp can say all he likes, but they are basically there, aren't they? We know that Villarreal just had just had one shot, and teams don't tend to lose from a 2-0 lead, do they, from the first leg in semi-finals? And, and you just look at the fixtures. Uh, I suppose the Spurs home game will be tough. We don't know which Spurs side will will turn up. Your guys before the FA Cup final, Dan, you know, they're on the beach. They have been for a month, so I don't see you know, them causing any problems and, and, and Southampton and, and Wolves as well. But City do have the, the easier running, I would say. So, um, yeah, it's it's advantage Manchester City in the, in the outright. And as a bookmaker with the quad liabilities, we're quite happy with that because we've quite liked Liverpool not to win or four. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, just when Liverpool fans thought life couldn't get any better, Jurgen Klopp and his staff signed new contracts until 2026. That was revealed by David Ornstein yesterday. George, where does he rank in terms of the Premier League's best and where does this Liverpool team rank? I mean, I guess much depends on how many trophies they win this season because if they win the quadruple, arguably they're the best ever. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, and I think winning the quadruple in the area of Manchester City would be an unbelievable feat, given how good City are. They're the two best teams in, in Europe by an absolute mile. Uh, where does Klopp rank? Well, I, I think for, for pure longevity sense, um, you, you have to say that Stralix Ferguson is, is in a league of his own in terms of Premier League greats, given what he did. I think Arsene Wenger's, the end of Arsene Wenger's um, tenure at Arsenal uh, will dampen the memory of some, but what he did at Arsenal in the first six or seven years of that club basically revolutionised football management in this country. So we have to pay massive credit to that. But in terms of, of pure you know, innovation and overseeing the turnaround of a club who was under, underachieving for so long. You know, we mentioned last week, sometimes you see those graphics of, of the early Jurgen Klopp teams. And, you know, it's important to point out this isn't all Klopp. You know, Klopp isn't the person sitting there on his laptop sending bids off for players and the like. But the, the recruitment has been so smart around the way that he wants to play football. He has created a, a style of play that is very, very unique to Liverpool themselves. It's amazing to have two teams in, in City and Liverpool who both play pos- very possession-heavy football, but do so in just completely different ways and, and attacking completely different ways as well. And that's what makes it so special and that's what, what makes the games between them so exciting as well. So, yeah, I mean, if, if, if this team do win the quadruple after what was such a disappointing campaign last season due to injuries, you know, so much is made of that, of that United treble winning team. Team uh, and you know you probably have to put them. You possibly have to put them above. Although as 
you know, we often say winning the, the Carabao Cup or the League Cup isn't necessarily a great benchmark of a great team and that would be the only difference between them. But Klopp is right up there. Uh, and I know that he's, you know, he's a, a, a pretty popular manager with some, some others, uh, some others think it's all a bit of an act, but whichever way you look at it, him signing a new contract to 2026 is, is pretty much good news for everybody involved at Liverpool, except for except for Steven Gerrard. So that's Ferguson, number one for George, Wenger two, and then Klopp edging out Chris Wilder's season and a half at Sheffield United <laughs> to make it into the top Spot three. On. yeah. Steve, what about you? What do you think? There's not a lot to add really to what uh, what George says. I think Sir Alex Ferguson clearly tops the list. I'm, as a neutral, excited to see where this Liverpool side goes under Klopp with the players that he's already bought in. He's just evolving the team again, isn't it? Jota, Diaz, Canate, etc. The amount of goals I've scored this season it must be great to be a Liverpool fan and watch your side win every week. Yeah, I mean, Steve, talking about goals, Mo Salah. Two open play goals in 16 now, both against Manchester United. Is it a cause for a concern? He's got a few assists in recent weeks. So I guess whilst he's not been scoring from open play, he's been getting assists. Yeah, he's got one assist in each of his last three games, hasn't he? And you're spot on, Dan, more assists than goals. He's still 1-50 to to finish top Premier League goal scorer this season. He's still 2-9 to to finish PFA Player of the Year. Personally, I, I, I think that's a lay. We've talked about that previously as well. He's still getting shots off. Not to the same scale as he was doing earlier in the season. He's only had five shots on target in the last nine games. How often can you keep going to this this high level of just producing so much brilliance week in, week out? You know, let's allow the guy a few weeks off on that front. He's still getting involved with Liverpool as well. But, the, you know, Liverpool and, and, and Mo Salah look like they're going to get a lot of, lot of awards this season. So I'm not too concerned just yet. George, what's your tip for this one? I'm going unders. I think you know Newcastle's defensive record is very good under Eddie Howe, as we say. You know, we I think we've seen a bit of a blueprint now for how teams can stifle Liverpool a bit with both Everton and and, and Villarreal in midweek sitting in. And that, given Newcastle's performance level at the moment, um, that under two and a half covers off one nil and two nil, which seem to me probably the most likely score lines. And if if they really are frustrated and drop points, it's probably a nil nil that or a one all that's going to do it. It doesn't seem to me any reason why this would be anything but a cagey game. Well. Cages may be the wrong word, but but a low scoring game with with Newcastle certainly set up to frustrate and hit them on the counter and and, New, and Liverpool generally pretty good defensively. So um, yeah, unders is is eleven to ten, uh, which I'm surprised about. I think basically any Liverpool game is always going to have overs being being fav, uh, but in this case, I think it's um, it's it's the other way I'd go. Thank you very much, George. Game two, Leeds against Manchester City, which is the five thirty p.m. offering on Saturday. Big game in the title race, and unfortunately for Leeds fans, the relegation battle as well at Ellen Road now. Jesse Marsh to me feels like he's done a good job since he's come in but all of a sudden Leeds look like they might be back in trouble George the reverse was a 7-0 to Manchester City will we see here how far Leeds have come under Jesse Marsh yeah I think we will that game sticks in my mind as being one of the worst performances I think I've ever seen from a football team in the Premier League where you know I'm a huge Marcelo Bielsa fan and anyone who tells me that the job he did was overrated at Leeds I will I will fight to the death but that in itself, that game was just a side who had completely lost sight of the way that they were playing being a means to winning a football match. It was complete kamikaze stuff. Throwing so many men forward against a team with some of the best players in, in world football at running in behind who don't often get the chance to do that because normally they come up against a low block. It was, you know, it was embarrassing stuff. So I think what, what we will see is a, a different approach from Leeds. Um, even though they are still a high-pressing team, we're definitely seeing now a side who have a better understanding of how to prevent goals. Um, although I, I do 
fear for them a little bit here, even though Jesse March is, is getting better results. You know, I mentioned the, the XG stuff last week, so I won't, I won't bore people by doing it again. But it's fair to say that the game in midweek against Palace, where they picked up a point, um, kind of followed the same the same idea that they are still conceding a lot of chances. Um, so even though the, the results have been better, I'm still a little bit fearful fearful for them, uh, not just on, on Saturday, but also in the relegation race as well. Yeah, we have actually got a market, guys, on Leeds United's next three games. They are very hard games, of course. Starting this weekend, Manchester City, Arsenal away, Chelsea at home. How many points they'll get? I think the the reason why I've done this for, I've noticed a little bit of disgruntlement from Leeds fans, whether that's after, of course, their main man going from the dugout and Jesse March coming in. But they are really, really frustrated about this pragmatic style of football. I know that might seem ridiculous from someone who's got 11 points from five games. You know, their XG against has improved. The, the big chances, as we know, of, of as, as, as we talked about before, of, that are conceding are less. They are still 130 to be relegated. I think that they scored two late goals in those three wins as well. I thought they were quite fortunate against Southampton, particularly against Palace as well. And they were flattered against Watford. And, you know, I've been talking quite glowingly about Jesse March as well. They just they can't seem to to keep the ball. They've posted their lowest pass completion rate f- f- for quite a while. And one interesting stat that was pointed to me against Watford: Leeds made 46 tackles in that game. They average a league high of 20 under Bielsa. So for them to make 46 in a game against Watford is is quite remarkable. Pumping the ball forward up for Dan James to chase as well. Rafina taking long throws. I thought that was quite interesting as well. But uh, I know I've gone off a tangent there. Those are the thoughts of a, a Leeds fan that was at Crystal Palace. On, on Monday night but with these three games guys points total what, what are we going to go for Manchester City at home Arsenal away Chelsea at home zero big, big zero. fat zero from Alec and a I'll zero from yeah clearly those are the two that are favoured it's uh, one to three points is eight to eleven as a favourite zero is five to two all nine points a hundred to one <laughs> I don't think I'll be back in that one yeah, we see, yeah, very unlikely. Let's continue to endear ourselves to Leeds fans then. There was a piece on The Athletic this <laughs> week from Phil Hay, George and Laurie Whitwell, sorry, looking at whether Calvin Phillips could join Manchester United in the summer. My gut is that he wouldn't do that. What do you think? I, I don't think he'd do it either. It just seems for a player who's going to have so many options, you would think if, if if there is a price that isn't extortionate and United meet that price, I don't see why there wouldn't be most of the European elite coming in for him as well. Um, so And Aston Villa, unless... because I know we're very interested in him. Uh, European elite. Yeah, we're exactly not in the that. 80s, Dan. Um, former, it's... Former, Euro- <laughs> former European Cup winners. Did you know that, George? I did say and Aston Villa, not including <laughs> us in the European elite, just to be clear. So uh, it seems unlikely to me that he would want to make that move. I, I think you know often we can over egg loyalty in this game. You know, even yesterday I was watching the I was watching both games in, in the pub with a friend of mine who's a Chelsea fan who was just couldn't wrap his head around why Antonio Rudiger would, would want to leave Chelsea and move to Real Madrid when when the offers on the table from Chelsea and it's like well because actually sometimes you know loyalty isn't isn't quite what we think it is no matter how much it looks like they care and I think. In Calvin Phillips's case, it, it's just not. It, it's it's the outlier. It's the one case where he he is such a Yorkshire boy. He's such a Leeds fan. You know, his he knows that he owes his career to Marcelo Bielsa in a way that I don't think people realise. Like his career trajectory before Bielsa came in was absolutely not to be a regular England international and a player who would who would um, be touted as a possible Manchester United centre midfielder at all. So. I think if he ever does move on, the offers mean that he wouldn't be making that that jump just at a time where 
you know that rivalry having um having been dormant for the best part of a decade is is now back on on uh yeah it's now back and back up and firing yeah, and city of course had probably played in the game of the season i would say midweek georgie boy ancelotta he won't go away no he won't I still think, I mean, there's just, I I wish I could have Carlo's luck, Carlo's fortune um, in the Champions League. It is incredible. I mean, what a game it was. An an unbelievable advert for Champions League football and just for European football. So often first legs can be so disappointing. But what I love is when when you settle in for a game and that first early goal goes in and you just know that any ideas that Madrid had of trying to sit in and soak and, 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 and kind of withhold the pressure just have to go out the window because suddenly they're asked for a that they're asked to, to kind of come back and all credit to them for doing so I think there's an amazing uh, mental aspect to when especially when a team of uh, four two down in the first leg of a Champions League tie and Karen Benzema hits a penalty like that I mean it reminds me so much of when uh, England were, were ahead against Italy in the um, in the Euros penalty shootout and England were ahead in the penalty shootout and Pirlo penenkered Joe Hart and just in that moment you just thought the, the advantage was more than just scoring a goal. It was this, this sheer arrogance and confidence that, you know, we can still pull this off and, and we're going to do it in a way that shows complete and utter disdain for, for your team and your goalkeeper. It was, um, yeah, a, bit, a big swing moment for me. I mean, I still personally think that City are overwhelming favourites to go through. I think their quality in the second leg will shine through. But Pep Guardiola's got a massive decision to make where do you go into that game against a side you can be confident you're better than having been the better team quite clearly in the first leg? Do you go to the Bernabeu and set out to play your own game and to win the match? Or do you set out knowing you're you're going in there 1-0 up and, 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 and adopt uh, a strategy accordingly and maybe look to play a bit less expansive and keep it a bit tighter? The fact that they're 21-20 to win the game in, in, in Madrid just shows you how game state plays a part because if this tie was nil-nil going to the Bernabeu, there would be, I'm sure Steve will agree, there'd be, there'd be odds on to win it. So it provides a bit of a difficult conundrum for, for Guardiola. Clearly, John Stone's playing it right back and coming off was was not ideal. You know, Fernandinho for, for all for the um you know the, the brilliant assist, uh, the the great ball in that he provided from from kind of right wing back. You know he was he was embarrassed for by Vinicius for that incredible solo goal. Um you know the the ball going through his legs and by the time he turned around, Vinicius was about twenty yards in front of him. So that is going to provide a, a difficulty. It was a great game and I'm I'm fascinated to see what happens uh, next week and I'm also very interested to see what what team Guardiola puts out this time round because. He needs to make sure that his players are arrested and fit and ready, whilst also ensuring they don't they don't drop any points here in the, in the title race. Big big weekend with the Champions League games coming up will be really interesting to see what both teams do. Steve, what's your tip for Leeds v Man City? Yes, I'm going to go for Manchester City to win this game, but under three and a half goals. I think it will be fairly tight, which is currently around the thirteen to eight mark. Game three is Everton v Chelsea, which is the 2pm on Sunday kickoff. Now, there was a great piece from Ollie Kay this week on The Athletic charting Everton's decline from the high point of the mid-80s to now. It was a depressing read if you're an Everton fan. I think that the decline has been absolutely huge. But Steve, they did put in a doggy performance last week at Anfield. They were maybe unfortunate not to get a penalty and they had a few little sniffs on the break, as I mentioned earlier. Can Lampard and his players take heart from that performance going into this one against Chelsea? I think so. There were so many positives from that first half. The way that he frustrated Liverpool, they were at the better XG in the first half. So yes, Dan, they can take positives from that. I'll tell you what frustrated me. 
the hounding of Stuart Atwell as well for the decisions. They weren't stonewall penalties. You can have an opinion about it, but I thought the way that people, even Lampard mentioned this decision about, you know, if it was Liverpool, if it was Salah or whatever, then they would have got the penalty. They didn't get the penalty. I, I think clearly it's frustrating, but it, but it frustrates me the way that people go after referees. So I, I didn't think Atwell had... Too bad again. There were contentious decisions for sure. And I, and I know that Everton with the Rodri ball was it early in the season that I think frustrated them as well. So I think maybe look a little bit closer to home instead of blaming officials every week. I think it's such an easy get out. But as regards to Everton, well, they are even money now to get relegated. They're the, the third favourites to do that with Burnley at 13 to 8. It's the first time they've been in the bottom three since since 2019. They have 119 seasons in the top flight. 1951 when I was a lad, the last time they went down. And they have flirted with it before. 94... I, I remember, you two mm. probably don't, but Everton going 2-0 down against Wimbledon before winning 3-2. I do remember actually, seven. Steve. Do you? Goals, yeah. goals, goals on VHS. I do remember it. <laughs> well, it was a Betamax in my day. And in, in, in 98, they were 17th on goal difference. I mean, two, in 2004, when they finished 17th, Leicester, Leeds and Wolves went down. Manchester City finished 16th. Newcastle were 5th and Liverpool were, were 6th. So... Burnley have gone from one to three to thirteen to eight to be, you know, to be relegated. So this is worrying times for Everton. Yeah, I mean, I had this chat with someone the other day who said to me, Everton go down, they'll come straight back up, George. And I thought, no, they won't. I was like, I had this when your club's rotten. Villa went down and it was a slog trying to get out of the championship. That first season, I think Villa finished mid-table in the championship. Everyone just thought they'd come straight back up. But it's not that easy. If you've still got problems behind the scenes, the only club that's done it well that I can remember somehow is Newcastle, where they've gone down twice and come straight back up. But Villa, Leeds, Forest, I I remember it being a slog. It was so hard getting out of that championship. Yeah, I mean... The teams, the other teams who do it well are the good championship teams yeah. who've recently been relegated. You know, Norwich, um, clearly Fulham as well. I mean, what I would say with Everton is, is it could go one of two ways. Either they make the same mistakes that, that you know, Villa made, um, appoint a manager who has very little knowledge. You know, you, you appointed Roberto Di Matteo for your, for your season to try and get back up and, and bought a whole host of players. And it, and it was a mess. And with Everton, it's hard to have any faith as to why they would be smart with their recruitment next season. You know, you are at a massive advantage being a Premier League club um, coming down into the championship because you have parachute payments and those parachute payments give you a, a massive financial advantage compared to those other teams in the league for three seasons. But the only issue is that those teams, it normally takes, or sometimes takes some of those teams three years to actually work out what to do to be a good championship side. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, with, with Frank Lampard as well, it, it's impossible to know whether or not he would be the manager. At least he is somebody who has experience managing in the championship. Yeah, I was going to say that. That's important, he, him having the experience. But that's where, where I think their struggle is that I just think everyone else around there, they, they don't know the championship. But And I'm also fully a believer, um, sadly, for, for Lampard, that his his derby team, as as good as certain players were, you know, those players were Tamori, those players were Mason Mount. Um, as a team, they were they were fairly fortunate to get as close to the Premier League as, as they did. And interestingly, with this game as well, it feels to me like Frank Lampard is a manager whose style, if it's up to him, his style is, is aggressive pressing. Yet you look at their best performances at Everton under Lampard and it's been against the sides where they've had to kind of drop in and and play a bit deeper you know we we saw them uh, lose just 1-0 at home to Manchester City with City leaving it till the 82nd minute to break them down Uh, we saw them go up against Liverpool drop in very very deep let Liverpool have the ball and it took Liverpool until 62 minutes to to get the goal saw them beat Manchester United go ahead fairly early on in the game and then again look to defend the lead It, it kind of seems to me like maybe 
Lampard is is possibly learning. He's possibly working out that there are other ways to 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 play, effective ways to play, and that could be an issue here for Chelsea. I'd almost feel more confident about about them getting points at the moment against better sides than I would against teams where where Lampard's going to try and, and dominate well dominate territory effectively rather than necessarily the ball. So that is one small shred of comfort, I guess, um, for Everton fans is that maybe by like coming up against better teams where Lampard is aware that he doesn't have the technical the players technically gifted enough to 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 control the ball and also has has to drop in and, and, and be a bit more pragmatic because of the opposition that seems to be where he's having his best success it was a 1-1 draw for Chelsea at Old Trafford on Thursday night Steve I mean, they played very well knocking on the door in the first half but David De Gea kept them out is their season all about the FA Cup now yeah they won, I mean, they're 1-500 to, to finish in the top four Dan so that looks that looks done and dusted I mean, I, I backed I backed Chelsea in that Manchester United game. I was watching that first ten minutes, and I'm thinking Chelsea have got to win this. Surely <laughs> they're mm-hmm. all over them. De Gea was brilliant again. You can probably see why he's won Player of the Season for the last knows God knows how many years that he's uh, that he's won it for. He, he was he was fantastic again, and it is it, it is all towards the cup final. You would say, of course, they'll start second favourites in that one as well, and we're all waiting for the summer as well to see what happens with the football club and and uh, and what happens with the takeover as well, which will happen before that. You would have thought. Yeah, the good news is, though, that Thomas Tuchel has committed his future to the club. Very, very important. So some good news for Chelsea fans amongst all the weirdness at the club at the moment. George, what's your tip for this one? I find it quite difficult, this, uh, for, for reasons I just mentioned. You know, initially, when before I kind of looked at it, I thought I'd be looking to get, for ways to get with Chelsea. But I think, as I mentioned, the fact that we're probably going to see a similar blueprint for Frank Lampard. And, and also, there's, there's quite a weird narrative here where not only is it Chelsea possibly relegating Frank Lampard's Everton but but you've also got the likes of, of of Mason Mount you know who this Chelsea team even though Lampard obviously didn't do a particularly good job at Chelsea I think you know Chelsea fans have a fair bit to thank Lampard for not just for his goals but also for for the way that he promoted from from within players like Reese James and, and Mason Mount maybe wouldn't be such central players if they hadn't looked to appoint a manager at that time who was who was so willing to promote youth at a time where they couldn't bring players in so I, I'm kind of loath to do that but I do think looking at the goal scorer markets Reese James is seven to one to score any time um, he has been playing right side of centre back for the majority of the last few weeks, but we saw him return back to right wing back uh, against United last night. I think, given that's where his future lies for for Chelsea, and, and given that Chelsea season is effectively over, um, I think Thomas Tuchel will look to play him there for the rest of the campaign uh, and move As- Aspilicueta back to right side of centre back. He had four shots last night against uh, Manchester United. He had three shots playing there as well against against Real Madrid last week. I think he maybe is being priced up a little bit, like he might be playing in the back three rather than. Uh, wide right. He's in my fantasy football team. He was the best player on the park. But you don't. I, get backed, any... I backed him last night to score. Yeah. You get no points for being the best player on the pitch, though, in fantasy football. A ruthless game. <laughs> he is superb, though. Yeah, like, he he's was very a, good. I mean, so good he's last a, night. Every. I, I, it's. It's. I can't think of many English footballers who are so complete. Like, I, I, he's the kind of player. I mean, he played centre midfield for Wigan. He could play anywhere. I think. He's just an unbelievable athlete and footballer. Lovely little shout on Rhys James there, George. Game four is Tottenham v Leicester, 2pm on Sunday. Now, on this podcast feed a few weeks ago, the Athletics' Charlie Eccleshare christened this team unspursy and we were waxing lyrical about them. Well, I wasn't so much because they'd beat Villa 4-0. Since then, (laughs) they've unfortunately gone more spursy than ever. Steve, what has gone wrong for Spurs the last few weeks? Oh, it's simple, isn't it? The previously maligned Matt Doherty not in the team. That's why. It's not That's helped. Why. <laughs> it's not helped. <laughs> That's why it's happened. Yes, I, you know, Spurs fans couldn't have him, could they? Wolves fans were saying, yeah, I told you so. Told you so, he's not that good, blah, blah, blah. And then he comes in the team and, and 
and I suppose if you look at the data, he's had a he's had a pretty good time of it. Two games on the bounce without a shot on target, and who'd have thought that? You know, the way that we were talking about Kane, sign Kulievsky as well. It's it's the fourth time actually that's happened this season that Spurs haven't had a shot on target. I don't know whether players like Kulievsky maybe not been as influential as we've seen earlier in. I say earlier in the season. He's only he's only recently arrived, hasn't he? But uh, over the last few games, maybe maybe looking a bit tired. So, but I think some people are pointing to Doherty not being in the team currently. Yeah, and all of a sudden, George, Harry Kane's four without a goal again. Nobody has looked like scoring for Spurs, to be fair. It could be a really pivotal few weeks for Kane's future. I mean, if they don't get top four, the transfer talk is surely going to start again. Yeah, you'd think so. And you'd think that Antonio Conte's future, uh, the talk around his future will start again as well. And it kind of feels to me like they're all linked. If, if they finish in the top four, Conte will be happy to stay and Kane will be happy to stay. If they don't finish in the top four, will Conte look to move? And if Conte moves on, will Kane look to move on? It's all it's all linked in a chain that could be fairly devastating for Spurs or, or could work in their favour if they can turn it around. Um, their form has been pretty poor. You know, I think we should caveat it a little bit by saying that, you know, Brentford and Brighton are two sides who are you know, in, in very good, you know, in good moments uh, at the moment. They're, they're playing well, they're, even though they're mid-table teams. Uh, they, they played them at bad times, I guess. But the performances have been, you know, they've offered absolutely nothing going forward at all. And even in the, you know, I know they won 4-0, but you know, they were fairly fortunate to, for that scoreline against your boys. You know, Villa still gave them, uh, did plenty going forward and, and deserved to score at least a goal in that game with, with plenty of, of opportunities to do so. So, you know, this is where we find out um, just how good Antonio Conte is uh, and how much, I guess, he is invested in sorting this out because, you you know, it's down to him after two, you know, tactically pretty inept performances, um, despite having, you know, except for Matt Doherty, d- despite having, you know, the, the majority of key players available and, you know, having got Harry Kane fit firing again, now going through a bit of a mini drought, how he bounces back from that and how Conte puts them out here uh, in a game where, you know, they should really expect to win, probably, especially given Leicester are going to, you would have thought, be resting players ahead of the, the second leg in Rome next week. Harry Kane's got a good record against Leicester, if my memory serves me correctly, so we'll see about that. I suppose the good news, like you said, for Conte is that Leicester may heavily rotate. They battled back from one down to get a 1-1 draw at home to Roma in the Conference League semi-finals. It was sub Harvey Barnes that created that goal. Steve, I guess all their attention is probably going to be on that second leg now. Yes, you would think so. Team news-wise as well, you're thinking resting, you know, I've seen Fafana's been rested quite a bit, hasn't he? Rotated, you know, he's been, obviously been back from, from injury as well. And it's 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 season over, really, Premier League-wise for Leicester. And cast your minds back to this game, which was the final game at the end of last season, wasn't it? Where Leicester were actually looking good to finish in the top four. And then they were actually beating Spurs, weren't they, before Gareth Bale came on in the 75th minute as well. So it was all looking so good for them. And, you know, two late goals certainly stopped that. But Leicester fans having a good run in Europe. I don't know where where Leicester fans see their opinion on Brendan Rodgers, whether they, they want to change there, whether they keep going. A run in Europe isn't too bad. But yes, Dan, I think I think it's it's all about the Europa Conference League for them. What are the odds on that? How are they sitting in the markets? Yeah, well, they are. Roma are favourites to win the actual title. The 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 Conference League at fifteen to eight with Leicester, their third best at eleven to four with 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 Feyenoord at nine to four and, and Marseille at four. So it's still it's still pretty tight considering at the, the halfway stage. Yeah, and who do you fancy for the games, Dave? Who do I fancy? You mentioned Harry Kane having a decent record against them. You are absolutely spot on. It's the side that he scores most goals against. He's got sixteen against Leicester for the side that he, he scored a couple of goals in five starts for Leicester back in the day on loan. He got four in one game against. Against them, he got a hat trick in the other. So I'm going to go for a bet three six five boosted bet builder. 
Kane to score any time, Spurs to win, both teams to score around the three to one mark. Yeah, and we're in that awkward in between phase now of game four, Tottenham v Leicester, and game five, West Ham v Arsenal. But that does give us a chance to look at the top four race in general. George, who do you think it's going to? Oh, I think Arsenal at the moment look, look like they're definitely in the in the best position. But it I changes think... though. I'm sure. Can you say Spurs a couple of weeks well, ago? Well, I was going to say just changes. Doesn't well, I also. What's the what's my charity bet again, Dan? I only know mine. I haven't got any idea what anyone else went for. Well, yours just uh, for those for those new just fell short. Show, mine, maybe, maybe we'll play catch up. Um, we had, we did a charity bet a few months ago. Dan's was this is during the season. Uh, Dan's was um, Southampton to get relegated. Fair to say that one isn't going too <laughs> they, well. They were uh, and, somewhere around the bottom three when I made that shout. And mine was Arsenal to finish fourth. Which is looking okay, isn't it? So, um, well, Steve. yeah, it's. I'm glad you didn't mention Harry Kane each way, top goal no, scorer. I'm, I'm glad uh, you yeah. moved on there, George. Good, <laughs> it looked good like just, I, could, I, I couldn't remember it. <laughs> um, it's, That's me all over. You know, yeah. I was going to say, I mean, it, 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 it feels like a mugs game at the moment to, to make. Um, it's, a, it's a mug market to bet on. It's a, it's a mug uh, conversation to have because every time it looks like one of those two teams is in the kind of form that will see them go clear, they drop the ball. Crucially, I mean, we are, you know, we're about to preview the West Ham Arsenal game, so I kind and we go straight into that because I, I don't think we can have this conversation without talking about this game, which is going to be incredibly important. You know, we will know what what, what Spurs have done given the Spurs games at, at two o'clock, and this is the late game on Sunday. So Arsenal will know where they stand going into this game, uh, which could be a massive advantage. Uh, similarly, if, if Spurs get the result, then suddenly the pressure is going to be heaped on Arsenal. The key thing here is, and it's been well documented, is, is West Ham's injury woes and suspension woes. Uh, Craig Dawson was sent off. Last week, uh, I thought he was brilliant last night against uh, against Frank Frankfurt in a game that the West Ham were incredibly unfortunate to lose with the woodwork being struck by Jared Bowen in what would have been one of the most incredible European semi-final equalisers I've ever seen. An unbelievable bicycle kick. Uh, if you haven't seen it, and I'm ju- judging by your guys' faces, you maybe haven't. Uh, I I'll definitely Manchester go back. United. I would. I was watching both. I was in the I pub watching. That. I can't do it in a pub in East London watching watching so with lots of West Ham fans watching uh, the West Ham game on the TV and then have my laptop on the table watching the um because that's how seriously I take this guys. We're eight AM record. That's next level. Gotta gotta watch it all and obviously not drinking anything. Um, so it is. Um, you know they they've got Craig Dawson suspended for this. Um, you know we know that. The, the, I mean the other injury issues are well documented. Kurt Zuma came back. Um, and was limping in the second half yesterday, so he's clearly not right or fit for this. And that is, is a huge advantage to Arsenal. You have to think, especially with the fact that you've got an incredibly informed Bukayo Saka, Eddie Nketiah, looking uh, like a player who deserves his spot at the moment. Martin Odegaard playing very well. Uh, Smith Rowe back in the side, and then Martinelli to come off the bench. It, it feels like they will love playing against a ravaged backline, and we have no idea who's going to start at, at centre back for, for West Ham. So it definitely feels to me like Arsenal are in. Are in the best position. I mean, they are currently fourth with a couple of points ahead of Spurs. And it feels like this should be a very difficult game for them, which has been made markedly easier by circumstances around West Ham's team selection. Yeah, and it was a big win for Arsenal last week against Manchester United, Steve. It could have been different if Bruno Fernandes had scored that penalty. It was another big moment for Saka when he scored his pen. And there's a lovely piece from Amy Lawrence in in the Athletic at the moment on the wall of messages to Saka at the Emirates, sending him support after his penalty miss last summer. But it was a big one to get over the line for Arsenal because at 2-1, it did look like the game could potentially swing, but Xhaka obviously scored his from his from outside the box and it, and it turned the game in Arsenal's favour. That could be a big moment in the top four race. Huge, yeah, Arsenal. It's It's been like a, a roller coaster April, really. They were started odds on, they went to 2-1, to they're back to 8-15 to now with Tottenham at 11-8. to eight. Of course, Manchester United out, out with a washing 
there. And you mentioned that Saka piece as well. I, I, I had a read of that and I shed a tear there just reading that. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I, I absolutely loved reading it. It is. And I, I, I can't imagine what this guy has has gone through. But to to read of all those sack loads of, 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 of mail um, that he got, you know, in, the, in this day of social media, you know, it can be a pretty horrible place sometimes. And, I, you know, reading it and it took him nine hours to, to put it all out. I think it's absolutely brilliant and a real good feel-good story after, after what happened. And the guy's in incredible form as well, which is also fantastic. Nine goals in his in his last 16 games. Arsenal top goal scorer. He's, he's, he's kicked on since then. And, it, and, it, and it's great to see an Arsenal in such a great position now to finish in the top four and hopefully for, for Georgie's uh, charity bet that they uh, they get that done. You forget Saka's only 19 as well. I mean, is he a shoo-in for Young Player of the Year? No one else is leaping out, am there? Foden, 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 I suppose, I'm is, is, is yeah. I think. I mean, it looks a two-horse race to me, but I think yeah. Foden is currently favourite in the market. But I, I, I agree with you, Dan. The way that the the way that he's grown and um, this season, I think personally, I think Saka deserves it. Yeah, and someone that's grown over recent weeks, George is Eddie Nketiah. He did miss a few good chances last week. He also had one in the net that got disallowed. But it's clear to see Arsenal do need a proper striker in the summer. I say proper striker, that's harsh, but they, they need a striker. Yeah, they do. I think so. And even if Nketiah is to have a long, um, fruitful career at Arsenal, I think they need one anyway. You know, we know that they went into... No one would have said they were stacked up front going into this season when they had Aubameyang on top of Nketiah and, and Lacazette and they've lost Aubameyang. So they need to bring someone in who can be the first choice striker maybe or just be one of the three. Um, they've got someone in Lacazette who's who's obviously very good at dropping and linking up play. He's a very uh, intelligent footballer um, and they've got someone in Nketiah who's very good at running in behind and, and clearly has an eye for goal. You know, his, his goal record, any level that he's played apart from his brief stint at Leeds has been very good. So they, they need one more. Um, my only concern is that I wouldn't necessarily trust uh, Arsenal to, to recruit good strikers um, it's been a while since they had some of the best strikers in world football um, of course you know Aubameyang and Lacazette um, were, were by no means poor signings but yeah it'll be interesting to see who they do go in for and what kind of calibre player they can get yeah, and a big part of last week Steve was the Xhaka and El Nenny pivot I couldn't believe he didn't do that in the first place to be honest I didn't mention it on any podcast so it's easy for me to say now but I was shocked that he went to the trouble of moving all the all the players around Xhaka at left back to try and, and, and sort the team out I would have said that was the obvious thing to do even though El Nenny's nothing spectacular it's his position. He's got a bit of experience. And he did help against Manchester United. He did. I think the only other game... I think he's, he's now done back-to-back 90 minutes for the first time this season with the two games that they've won and scored seven goals, Manchester United and Chelsea. And the only other 90, uh, only other start that he had was against Manchester United earlier in the season. So maybe Arteta just pigeonholed him just to play against Manchester United. But him and Xhaka look, you know, work very well. Obviously, Xhaka's got... You read social media and, you, and you've seen what he's... He's another one who's obviously the booed against against. Chris Crystal Palace, and I know he might frustrate fans when, you, when he throws in the odd foul or six in a game. You know, the red cards that he's got as well. But he seems to be back in the good books now, showing what a, a talented footballer he is. And just him and El Nani work well as well. I think El Nani's out of contract as well in the summer, isn't he? So I'm not sure where where he's going to go and you know with a number of players as well. But Arteta's got Arsenal in the box seat for the top four. So all's happy until the weekend when they may lose and then he's the worst manager in the world again. Yeah, and George, where's the smart money here? I think overs, um, I'm pretty surprised to see over two and a half and under two and a half pick and prices, 10 to 11 each side. Um, I think given West Ham's injury difficulty, I think seeing, watching their game last night against Frankfurt, it was incredibly open. Uh, it may have only just had three goals, but how it only ended on three goals, I'm not entirely sure. And under, uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen Arsenal adopting a bit of a uh, an attack is the best form of defence policy where they've, they've gone to United 1-3-1 uh, in a game, again, where VAR stopped that from having four or five 
five goals and then they they, they beat Chelsea 4-2 as well. So plenty of goals in both teams' games at the moment. Injury issues for West Ham mean they're going to have to play off the front foot. I'm yeah, I'm surprised that um and it's you know it's a must-win game for basically both of them in terms of their aspirations for the season. So I'm surprised that that overs isn't isn't heavier odds on. Okay, just enough time for me to remind you to subscribe to the Athletic today and gain full access to all the brilliant articles and ad-free podcasts for just a pound a month for the first six months. To do that, just head to theathletic.com/footballpod. My thanks to George and Steve as always, and of course all of you for listening. Please do remember to rate and subscribe. Subscribers to the Athletic and Apple Plus should also keep an eye out for the new bite sized Ornstein on Monday podcast that's available every Monday lunchtime on this very feed. Mark Chapman and the main pod available as per usual from Monday evening. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. Have a great weekend and enjoy all the football. The Athletic.